on Christmas Eve in 1965, my husband, my closest friend, Fran Brandt, and her husband, Joe, were celebrating with sandwiches and with coffee and fruitcake in the meditation room downstairs. Carols poured from the TV upstairs. A holiday dinner was in the making. For some reason, Joe, Fran's husband, ventured to speak of the coming California earthquake. It did not seem a moment to talk about earthquakes, because Christmas is the most precious time in the world. The huge tree, ablaze with tiny starlights, seemed to presage only goodness and love and beauty. Joe was saying that he had had an accident, a fall from a horse, when he was 17. And for days, he had a concussion. During this period, a continuous dream came again and again, as if he were viewing a tremendous earthquake and inundation in California and other parts of the world. I listened politely, made some comment, and turned to talk to Fran about a new movie or some equally world-shaking event. I was vaguely aware that Joe had brought in a sheaf of papers, and he said he would put it in my downstairs desk in 1965, until I had time to read the dream. That time did not arrive until, by accident, I came across them this last week, in 1967. Pages after pages after pages, written in a boy's handwriting, about the coming California earthquake. It would take weeks to research all this material, but I phoned my former geology professor and read portions to him. Could this happen? Could California go down in just this way? Would other areas be affected in a matter of hours? He answered in the affirmative. Joe had written, sleepy and dreaming and in drowsy awakening, about positions of various faults, strata of rock, earth movements. So much material that a geologist of many years would scarcely attempt such a work. Yet here it was waiting for me to find it for two years. Since that night, Fran has changed worlds in 1966 or 67. And my husband is very ill. Other unforeseen events which I could not have imagined have taken place. And all this, perhaps, precluded my finding of the earthquake papers. This book is already very long.
double its size. And I realized that this vision, given to a 17-year-old boy, must be placed, as it is, into a book. Consciously, he knew nothing of geology or of the possibility of a coming earthquake. The notes are 30 years old, yellowed with age. And yet there is a clarity and an unbelievable reality in them. Some of the highlights must be given, because I'm certain now, as I was not certain on Christmas Eve of 1965, that the California earthquake will come. And it's coming is close at hand. Since Joe covered the areas around the world which would be affected, not all of these can be given. But for those of us in this land, especially the California land, these are the highlights of that vision. Welcome back to the Baked and Awake podcast. I'm your host, Steve, and this is the 87th edition of the show. What you just heard was the prologue, or foreword, to a transcript of a prophetic dream received and recorded by one Joe Brandt back in 1937. about to drop back in after topping up our vitamin P tanks here and listen to Joe's entire relation of his story which I only became aware of just yesterday as a matter of fact hanging out on the internet in a community that I've spent a lot of time in the Tartary Zertus discord community where we talk about a lot of Tartarian style mysteries and references and investigations. The topic at the moment in the chat wasn't specifically Tartarian, it was more catastrophic, prophetic, etc. And a uh, fellow user who is always dropping knowledge bombs in that forum, Rick E. Shea. Shout out, Rick. Thank you for all the wonderful posts, comments, contributions that you have in the community there. Uh, Asked me directly had I ever heard of Joe Brandt his visions. Uh, Of course I had not, so I looked him up right away, dropped right out of the chat and had to read this dream in full, which struck me as a great introduction to some topics that I want to begin to introduce more on the show, those being family preparedness and emergency preparedness in general for all of us here in 2019, going on 2020. We're living in a world where preparedness is a watchword that, especially as a father of a young family, uh, resonates with me more and more all the time. Let's puff. Make sure you're getting safe. And if you're at work right now and you can't get safe, pause this show. Save it for later.
I'll still be here. We can hang out when you're having some downtime. And if not, then let's proceed. I woke up in the hospital room with a terrific headache, as if the whole world was revolving inside my brain. I remember vaguely the fall from my horse, Blackie. As I lay there, pictures began to form in my mind, pictures that stood still. I seemed to be in another world. Whether it was the future or it was some ancient land, I could not say. Then, slowly, like the silver screen of the talkies, but with color and smell and sound, I seemed to find myself in Los Angeles. But I swear it was much bigger. And buses and odd-shaped cars crowded the city streets. I thought about Hollywood Boulevard, and I found myself there. Whether this is true, I do not know. But there were a lot of guys my age with beards and wearing, some of them, earrings. All the girls, some of them Kino, wore real short skirts. And they slouched along, moving like a dance. Yet they seemed familiar. I wondered if I could talk to them. And I said, hello, but they didn't see or hear me. I decided I would look as funny to them as they looked to me. I guess it is something you have to learn. I couldn't do it. I noticed there was a quietness about the air. A kind of stillness. Something else was missing. Something that should be there. At first, I couldn't figure it out. I didn't know what it was. Then I did. There were no birds. I listened. I walked two blocks north of the boulevard. All houses. No birds. I wondered what had happened to them. Had they gone away? Again. I could hear the stillness. Then I knew something was going to happen. Side note, I don't know how common of knowledge it would have been in 1937 for a young American boy to be aware of it, like a phenomenon like the birds and other animals acting unusual right before big weather events, tornadoes, quakes. A lot of things like that. Animals seem to pick up on the atmospheric changes first, right? 
birds having their own transportation often just peace out. I wondered what year it was. It certainly was not 1937. Saw a newspaper on the corner with a picture of the president. It surely wasn't Mr. Roosevelt. He was bigger, heavier, big ears. If it wasn't 1937, I wondered what year it was. My eyes weren't working right. Someone was coming, someone in 1937. It was that darn fat nurse ready to take my temperature. I woke up. Crazy dream. I hope the listener will forgive any idiosyncrasies of speech and or social gaffes. Let's please remember these are the writings of a hospitalized 17-year-old who had been suffering from a head trauma, so. The next day. Gosh, my headache is worse. It's a wonder I didn't get killed on that horse. I've had another crazy dream back in Hollywood. Those people. Why do they dress like that, I wonder? Funny glow about them. It is a shine around their heads. Something shining. I remember it now. I found myself back on the boulevard. I was waiting for something to happen, and I was going to be there. I looked up at the clock down by that big theater. It was ten minutes to four. Something big was going to happen. I wondered if I went into a movie, since nobody could see me, if I'd like it. Some cardboard blonde was draped over the marquee with her legs six feet long. I started to go in, but it wasn't inside. I was waiting for something to happen outside. I walked down the street. In the concrete, they have names of stars. I just recognized a few of them. The other names I had never heard. I was getting bored. I wanted to get back to the hospital in Fresno. And I wanted to stay there on the boulevard, even if nobody could see me. Those crazy kids. Why are they dressed like that? Maybe it is some big Halloween doings, but it don't seem like Halloween. More like early spring.
there was that sound again, that lack of sound. Stillness, stillness, stillness. The quiet is getting bigger and bigger. I know it is going to happen. Something is going to happen. It's happening now. It sure did. She woke me up, grinning and smiling. That fat one again. It's time for your milk, kiddo, she says. Gosh, old women of 30 acting like the cat's pajamas. Next time, maybe she'll bring hot chocolate. Where have I been? Where haven't I been? I've been to the ends of the earth and back. I've been to the end of the world. There isn't anything left. Not even Fresno. Even though I'm lying here right this minute. If only my eyes would get a little clearer so I can write all this down. Nobody will believe me anyway. I'm going back to that last moment on the boulevard. Some sweet kid went past, dragging little boys, twins, I guess, by each hand. Her skirt was up, well, pretty high, and she had a tired look. I thought for a minute I could ask her about the birds, what had happened to them. And then I remembered she hadn't seen me. Her hair was all frowsy, way out all over her head. A lot of them looked like that. But she looked so tired, and like she was sorry about something. I guess she was sorry before it happened because it surely did happen. There was a funny smell. I don't know where it came from. I didn't like it. A smell like sulfur, sulfuric acid, a smell like death. For a minute, I thought I was back in chem, chemistry class. When I looked around for the girl, she was gone. I wanted to find her for some reason. It was as if I knew something was going to happen, and if I could just stay with her, help her. She was gone. And I walked half a block, then I saw the clock again. My eyes seemed glued to that clock. I couldn't move. I just waited. It was five minutes 
to four on a sunny, sunny afternoon. I thought I would stand there looking at that clock forever, waiting for something to come. Then, when it came, it was nothing. It was just nothing. It wasn't nearly as hard as the earthquake we had two years ago. The ground shook, just an instant. People looked at each other, surprised. Then they laughed. I laughed, too. So this was what I had been waiting for. This funny little shake. It meant nothing. I was relieved, and I was disappointed. What had I been waiting for? I started back up the boulevard, moving my legs like those kids. How do they do it? I never found out. I felt as if the ground wasn't solid under me. Knew that I was dreaming, and yet I wasn't dreaming. There was that smell again, coming up from the ocean. I was getting to the 5 and 10 store, and I saw the look on the kids' faces. Two of them were right in front of me, coming my way. Let's get out of this place. Let's go back east. He seemed scared. It wasn't as if the sidewalks were trembling. But you couldn't seem to see them. Not with your eyes, you couldn't. An old lady had a dog. A little white dog, and she stopped and looked scared. Grabbed him up in her arms and said, Let's go home, Fru-Fru. Mama is going to take you home. That poor lady, hanging on to her dog. I got scared. Real scared. I remembered the girl. She was way down the block, probably. I ran and ran, and the ground kept trembling. I couldn't see it. I couldn't see it. But I knew it was trembling. Everybody looked scared. They looked terrible. One young lady just sat down on the sidewalk, all doubled up. She kept saying, Earthquake. It's the earthquake over and over. But I couldn't see that anything was different. Then, when it came, how it came. Like nothing in God's world. Like nothing. It was like the scream of a siren 
long and low. Or the scream of a woman I heard having a baby when I was a kid. It was awful. It was as if something, some monster, was pushing up the sidewalks. You felt it long before you saw it, as if the sidewalks wouldn't hold you anymore. I looked out at the cars. They were honking, but not scared. They just kept moving. They didn't seem to know yet that anything was happening. Then, that white car, that baby half-sized one, came sprawling from the inside lane right against the curb. The girl who was driving just sat there. She sat there with her eyes staring, as if she couldn't move. But I could hear her. She made funny noises. The comment about the white car, the baby half-sized one, could have been a modern subcompact of some kind. In 1937, American cars were firmly on the bigger side. We were still dealing with big Detroit iron back in those days. All the way through the 70s, really, so we didn't start bringing in compact imports are making them until the late 70s here. So it's an interesting car he noticed. Maybe you can tell why I decided to tell this story right away and read it in full for you guys. I watched her, the girl in the car, thinking of the other girl. I said that it was a dream and I would wake up. But I didn't wake up. The shaking had started again, but this time different. It was a nice shaking, like a cradle being rocked for a minute. And then I saw the middle of the boulevard seemed to be breaking in two. The concrete looked as if it were being pushed straight up by some giant shovel. It was breaking in two. That is why the girl's car went out of control. And then, a loud sound again, like I've never heard before. Then, hundreds of sounds. All kinds of sounds. Children, women, and those crazy guys with earrings. They were all moving. 
some of them above the sidewalk. I can't describe it. They were lifted up. And the waters kept oozing, oozing. The cries. God, it was awful. I woke up. I never want to have that dream again. It came again. Like the first time, which was a preview, and all I could remember was that it was the end of the world. I was right back there, all that crying, right in the middle of it. My eardrums felt as if they were going to burst. Noise everywhere. People falling down. Some of them hurt badly. Pieces of buildings. Chips. Flying in the air. One hit me hard on the side of the face. But I didn't seem to feel it. I wanted to wake up to get away from this place. It had been fun in the beginning, the first dream, when I kind of knew I was going to dream the end of the world or something. This was terrible. There were older people in cars. Most of the kids were on the street, but those old guys were yelling bloody murder, as if anybody could help them. Nobody could help anybody. It was then that I felt myself lifted up. Maybe I had died. I don't know. But I was over the city. It was tilting toward the ocean. Like a picnic table. The buildings were holding better than you could believe. They were holding. They were holding. They were holding. The people saw they were holding, and they tried to cling to them or get inside. It was fantastic. Like a building had a will of its own everything else breaking around them, and they were holding, holding. I was up over them, looking down. I started to root for them. Hold that line, I said. Hold that line. Hold that line. Hold that line. I wanted to cheer, to shout, to scream. If the buildings held, those buildings on the boulevard, maybe the girl, 
the girl with the two kids. Maybe she could get inside. It looked that way for a long time. Maybe three minutes. And three minutes was like forever. You knew they were going to hold. Even if the waters kept coming up. Only they didn't. He's describing modern, engineered, earthquake-proof type skyscraper, high-rise buildings here, in my opinion. I've never imagined what it would be like for a building to die. A building dies just like a person. It gives way. Some of the bigger ones did just that. They began to crumble, like an old man with palsy who couldn't take it anymore. They crumbled right down to nothing. And the little ones screamed like mad over and above the roar of the people. They were mad about dying. But buildings die. I couldn't look anymore at the people. I kept wanting to get higher. Then, I seemed to be out of it all. But I could see. I seemed to be up on Big Bear, near San Bernardino. But the funny thing was that I could see everywhere. I knew what was happening. The earth seemed to start to tremble again. I could feel it, even though I was high up. This time, it lasted maybe 12 seconds, and it was gentle. You couldn't believe anything so gentle could cause so much damage. But then, I saw the streets of Los Angeles, and everything between the San Bernardino Mountains and Los Angeles. It was still tilting toward the ocean. Houses, everything that was left. I could see the big lanes. Dozens of big lanes, still loaded with cars, sliding the same way. Now the ocean was coming in, moving like a huge snake across the land. I wondered how long it was, and I could see the clock, even though I wasn't there on the boulevard. It was 4.29. It had been half an hour. I was glad I couldn't hear the crying anymore. But I could see everything.
I could see everything. He references dozens of big lanes loaded with cars in Los Angeles. Again, a bit of a premonition of modern superhighways that probably weren't remotely close to that level in 1937. Then, like looking at a huge map of the world, I could see what was happening on the land and with the people. San Francisco was feeling it, but she was not in any way like Hollywood or Los Angeles. It was moving just like that earthquake movie with Jeanette MacDonald and Gable. Probably Clark Gable. We could look back and try to find out what movie that was. I could see all those mountains coming together. I knew it was going to happen to San Francisco. It was going to turn over. It would turn upside down. It went quickly because of the twisting, I guess. It seemed much faster than Hollywood. But then I wasn't exactly there. I was a long way off. I was a long long way off. I shut my eyes for a long time, I guess ten minutes, and when I opened them, I saw Grand Canyon. When I looked at Grand Canyon, that great big gap was closing in, and Boulder Dam was being pushed from underneath. And then, Nevada, and on up to Reno, way down south, way down, Baja, California, Mexico too. It looked like some volcano down there was erupting along with everything else. I saw the map of South America, especially Colombia, another volcano, eruption, shaking violently. I seemed to be seeing a movie of three months before, before the Hollywood earthquake. Venezuela seemed to be having some kind of volcanic activity. Away off in the distance, I could see Japan on a fault, too. It was so far off. Not easy to see because I was still on Big Bear Mountain. But it started going into the sea. I couldn't hear screaming. But I could see the surprised look on their faces. They looked so surprised. Japanese girls are made well, supple, 
easy, muscles that move well. Pretty, too. But they were all like dolls. It was so far away, I could hardly see it. In a minute or two, it seemed over. Everybody was gone. There was nobody left. I didn't know time now. I couldn't see a clock. I tried to see the island of Hawaii. I could see huge tidal waves beating against it. The people on the streets were getting wet, and they were scared. But I didn't see anybody go into the sea. It seemed way around the globe. More flooding. Is the world going to be drenched? Constantinople. Black Sea rising. Suez Canal. For some reason, seemed to be drying up. Sicily. She doesn't hold. I could see a map. Mount Etna. Mount Etna is shaking. A lot of area seemed to go, but it seemed to be earlier or later. I wasn't sure of time now. England. Huge floods, but no tidal waves. Water, water everywhere. But no one was going into the sea. People were frightened and crying. Some places they fell to the streets on their knees and started to pray for the world. I didn't know the English were emotional. Ireland, Scotland, all kinds of churches were crowded, it seemed, night and day. People were carrying candles, and everybody was crying for California, Nevada, parts of Colorado, maybe even all of it, even Utah. Everybody was crying. Most of them didn't even know anybody in California, Nevada, Utah, but they were crying as if they were blood kin like one family, like it happened to them. New York was coming into view. She was still there. Nothing had happened. Yet, water level was way up. Here, things were different. People running in the streets, yelling, end of the world. Kids ran into restaurants and ate everything in sight. I saw a shoe store with all the shoes gone in about five minutes. Fifth Avenue, everybody running. 
some radio blasting. Bigger, a loudspeaker. Blasting that in a few minutes, power might be shut off. They must control themselves. Five girls were running like mad toward the YMCA, that place on Lexington or somewhere. But nothing was happening in New York. I saw an old lady with garbage cans filling them with water. Everybody seemed scared to death. Some people looked dazed. The streets seemed filled with loudspeakers. It wasn't daylight. It was night. I saw, like, the next day and everything was topsy-turvy. Loudspeakers again about fuel tanks broken in areas. Shortages of oil. People seemed to be looting markets. I saw a lot of places that seemed safe, and people were not so scared especially the rural areas. Here, everything was almost as if nothing had happened. People seemed headed to these places, some on foot, some in cars that still had fuel. I heard, or somehow I knew, that somewhere in the Atlantic, land had come up. A lot of land. I was getting awfully tired. I wanted to wake up. I wanted to go back to the girl. To know where she was. And those two kids. I found myself back in Hollywood. And it was still 429. I wasn't up on Big Bear at all. I was perched over Hollywood. I was just there seemed perfectly natural in my dream. I could hear now. I could hear someplace a radio station blasting out, telling people not to panic. They were dying in the streets. There were picture stations with movies. Some right in Hollywood. These were carrying on with all the shaking. One fellow in the picture station was a little short guy who should have been scared to death, but he wasn't. He kept shouting and reading instructions. Something about helicopters or planes would go over. Some kind of planes. But I knew they couldn't. Things were happening in the atmosphere. The waves were rushing up now. Waves. Such waves. Nightmare waves. 
Then I saw again. Boulder Dam. Going down. Pushing together. Pushing together. Breaking apart. No. Grand Canyon was pushing together. And Boulder Dam was breaking apart. It was still daylight. All these radio stations went off at the same time. Boulder Dam had broken. Picture stations with movies sounds a lot like televisions, probably in different shop windows and things. TVs carrying on with all the shaking. You know, these days in New York and LA, we have you know, big animated screens in certain parts of downtown, right? Big giant billboards that are really LCDs. I think Boulder Dam is Hoover Dam now, right? It's like renovated into Hoover Dam. I'll double check on Boulder. I wondered how everybody would know about it people back east. That was when I saw the ham radio operators. I saw them in the darndest places, as if I were right there with them. Like the little guy with glasses, they kept sounding the alarm. One kept saying, This is California. We are going into the sea. This is California. We are going into the sea. Get to the high places. Get to the mountains. All states west. This is California. We are going into the... We are going into the... I thought he was going to say sea but I could see him. He was inland, but the waters had come in. His hand was still clinging to the table. He was trying to get up so that once again he could say, This is California. We are going into the sea. This is California. We are going into the sea. I seemed to hear this over and over for what seemed like hours. Just those words. They kept it up until the last minute. All of them calling out. Get to the mountains. This is California. We are going into the sea. I woke up. It didn't seem as if I had been dreaming. I have never been so tired. For a minute or two, I thought it had happened. 
I wondered about two things. I hadn't seen what happened to Fresno, and I hadn't found out what happened to that girl. I've been thinking about it all morning. I'm going home tomorrow. It was just a dream. It was nothing more. Nobody in the future on Hollywood Boulevard is going to be wearing earrings and those beards. Nothing like that is ever going to happen. That girl was so real to me. That girl with those kids. It won't ever happen. But if it did, how could I tell her? Maybe she isn't even born yet. To move away from California when she has her twins. And she can't be on the boulevard that day. She was so gosh darned real. The other thing, those ham operators hanging on like that over and over, saying the same thing. This is California. We are going into the sea. This is California. We are going into the sea. Get to the mountains. Get to the hilltops. California, Nevada, Colorado, Arizona, Utah. This is California. We are going into the sea. I guess I'll hear that for days. Well, I'm sure you'll agree with me that Joe Brandt had a bit of a storyteller's flair to his recording of his dream. So I'm not here to, you know, stake a flag in this hill and die on it that Joe Brent's prophecy was anything more than inspired storytelling of a young teenager. Whether he wrote it when he was in the hospital as is attributed to his story or not, not really worried about it. I think he painted a haunting and grim picture of a feared real West Coast mega quake where I live up here in the Pacific Northwest in Washington State we've got our own concerns about a particularly big quake overdue in our region particularly big eruptions potentially still could come from Mount Rainier, Mount St. Helens, 
I think Mount Hood in Oregon is still considered an active volcano. I'm not sure about that, but... In the episodes to come over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be talking about some preparedness-related topics and some other matters, our usual fare. But without putting myself or ourselves up here forward as remotely being experts on this topic, let's try to have the conversation together about practical steps we can take in our lives, with our homes and with our families, to have any kind of plan in place for when things go sideways. I hope you enjoyed listening to Joe Brandt's vision, his dream today. I'll include, of course, a link to the uh, text itself in full in the show notes for the show for you. I welcome your comments, as always. You can email me at talktous at bakedinawake.com. If you check out those show notes, I'll also point you at our website, where you can check out all previous episodes of the show, as well as... Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and we interrupt this podcast closing to bring you an important news bulletin. As of the time of this recording, Wednesday, October 9th, 2019, 1.57 p.m., I have received information about a planned power outage announced yesterday for over 30 counties in the state of California. This power outage has been initiated by PG&E, the uh, statewide power utility provider to California, due in part to some responsibility they have had and blame placed on them for other recent wildfires. That is the stated reason for the planned intentional power outage across much of the state that started after midnight today on Wednesday the 9th. Going to read you some highlights from the usatoday.com story about this. I also would urge anyone who's looking for more information about this, at least initially, to check out a small but popular YouTuber, Static in the Attic, who is a excellent Tartarian mud flood antiquitech researcher and theoretician. Static has reported on this. He's on the ground in California, in Marin County, where the power is out as of now. We will leave a link to Static in the Attic's YouTube channel in the show notes, as well as citing this USA Today story. This story was first published yesterday afternoon on the 8th of October, uh, actually 11 a.m. yesterday morning. This uh, These reports began to come out early in the day yesterday. More than 800,000 subscribers in California will be left in the dark for days as the state's leading utility shuts off power to parts of 34 counties to reduce the risk of wildfires in dry and windy conditions. Pacific Gas and Electric said blackouts across parts of northern, central, and coastal California would start shortly after midnight Wednesday in the largest preventative outage in state history. Because every customer account could represent service to multiple residents or employees in a business, the number of people affected by the outages could be in the millions. 
With winds between 40 miles per hour and 70 miles per hour expected Wednesday and Thursday, PG&E is trying to avoid downed power lines or contact with vegetation setting off fires. Some of California's most destructive blazes in recent years were started by PG&E power lines. Nearly all nine counties in the San Francisco Bay Area should be subjected to the shutdowns, the only exception being the city and county of San Francisco. In addition, Southern California Edison said more than 170,000 customers could face power cuts in eight counties it serves, including more than 49,000 in Los Angeles County. Michael Lewis, senior vice president of PG&E's electric operations, said it could take several days to fully restore power after the weather passes and safety inspections are completed. The beleaguered utility, which filed for bankruptcy this year after a series of wildfires left it with billions of dollars in liabilities, further incurred customers' wrath when its website crashed amid heavy traffic, preventing subscribers from finding information about the blackouts. This is shaping up to be one of the most severe dry wind events we've seen in our territory in recent years, PG&E said in a statement. We want our customers to be prepared for an extended outage that may last several days. AccuWeather, AccuWeather.com, noted that while some Santa Ana winds events usher in hot and arid air, the winds affecting most of California this week should bring in somewhat cooler air that could ease the threat of a major wildfire outbreak. However, the combination of dry air, dry brush, and gusty winds will significantly raise the chance of wildfire ignition, AccuWeather senior meteorologist Alex Sosnowski said. PG&E's meteorological and operation teams were monitoring the evolving situation and were working with state and local agencies to prepare the public, Lewis said. He warned that customers may be affected by a power shutoff even if they're not experiencing extreme weather conditions in their specific location because of the way power lines work in unison across cities, counties, and regions. Residents of the Golden State lined up at gas stations and headed to stores to buy generators, flashlights, batteries, and non-perishable food. Jennifer Siemens, whose home burned down in a devastating fire in Northern California, Northern California's town of Paradise, that was blamed on PG&E's transmission lines, said she's now renting in nearby Oroville and is preparing for her third power shutdown in a month. Siemens said that the outages scare her children, who were traumatized during the massive Paradise blaze, and these also affect the family's cleaning business. What's wrong with the power lines that they have to do this so much, Siemens asked. We don't want any more fires, obviously, but I feel like they're going a little overboard. PG&E ordered a much smaller power cutoff in June involving thousands of customers in Northern California across Napa, Solano, and Yolo. The utility has drawn blame for igniting several wildfires caused by downed power lines that killed dozens and destroyed thousands of homes. In June, PG&E agreed to pay $1 billion in damages to local governments. More than half of the settlement was related to the campfire, which killed 85 people and destroyed more than 13,000 homes while nearly wiping out paradise. So that's an Associated Press story picked up by USA Today. Gabrielle Paluk appears to be the contributor 
with this story. I'm including it now as an addendum to our Joe Brandt's Visions recounting, because it seems very timely indeed. The conversation has been, and remains, how ready are you, wherever you are, for an emergency just such as this? We don't need an earthquake to find ourselves in surprisingly uncomfortable circumstances. A simple power outage can send people scrambling for fuel and for food, for resources that maybe they could have been laying up ahead of time in some cases. In such case, where one was a little bit more prepared for something simple, like a planned power outage, you might be one less person in line down at the local store or at the local gas station. You might be home hours before your neighbors who weren't ready and who needed to go out and fight those lines and pay, who knows, sometimes scalper prices for simple things that if one just looked ahead and counted on just this sort of thing happening, they might have ready for their own families in time of need. We'll monitor this situation very closely over the coming days. We understand from the details of the USA Today story and the other discussions I've seen about this already that it could take several days to restore power. They need to inspect all those lines that were at risk of coming in contact with vegetation, for example, before they're ready to turn everything back on now that they've gone to the trouble of shutting it all off like they have. This also, of course, is a stark reminder of how fragile some of our seemingly utterly reliable and ubiquitous utility systems can, in fact, be. There's a lot there. We could talk about a lot more. And we will. Coming soon. On Baked in a Wink. California. We are going into the sea. This is California. We are going into the sea. Get to the mountains. Get to the hilltops. California. Nevada. Colorado. Arizona. Utah. This is California. We are going into the sea.
going into the sea. Get to the mountains. Get to the hilltops. California, Nevada, Colorado, Arizona, Utah. This is California. We are going into the sea. I guess I'll hear that for days.